This podcast is created and produced by Innovator. If you're looking to cut back or eliminate hot work on your next job, or for all of your industrial services needs, visit innovator.ca. Hello, and welcome to the Industrial Innovators Podcast, hosted by founder and CEO of Innovator, Don Cooper. I'm Wyatt McPherson, I produce this show, and today our guests are Alan Barker, along with Gavin West from IKUK, and they and Don will be discussing the test plug options that they offer, along with exciting new technologies, as well as their long-standing business relationship. So let's hear what they have to say. Talking with uh, our uh, our technology partners from IKUK in the beautiful town of Newton Aycliffe in uh, in sunny England, <laughs> and um, uh, why we're going to be talking about um, I think isolation and test plugs today, right, guys? Yep. Is that the plan? Cool. That's so, um, guys, why don't we start and. Um, just tell the audience uh, that'll be listening uh, when the podcast airs um, who is um, who is IK and uh, and the company history focus that uh, sort of set the stage for uh, who you guys are. Okay, uh, IK UK, where we are here in Newton Aycliffe. Uh, it was originally a company called Poly Europe International. They used to do all the same products we do, and they were eventually bought in 2013 by the IK Group, which are an Norwegian company. So uh, that was when the name changed. Uh, and in 2015, we were joined by our sister company up in Aberdeen Online Electronics. So we're made up predominantly, even though we've got small worldwide offices, predominantly of us in Newton Aycliffe, Aberdeen Online Electronics, and our head office, headquarters, if you like, is in Norway. Uh, and that's where we, where we started from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's, uh, the, uh, what's, what's what, across the business? What's the range of, uh, of focus of the business? Uh, each department, each office has a different focus. So it's all oil and gas pipeline orientated, as we know. Uh, in our regional office, they seem to do a lot of large special projects. So people will go to them with last-minute major problems, whether it's subsea or topside, and they will engineer a solution and put it together in help today. They're fast-acting on major major problems and major solutions. Online electronics in Aberdeen, they do tracking, obviously by the name, electronics. They do all our electronic-type solutions, and it is predominantly tracking. And they've got some quite new, fancy tools being developed at the moment. And then here, our facility is predominantly big manufacturer, manufacturer of various types of world testing, flange testing, hyperchip plugs, and tools like that. Here we do, whether it's just a quick one or two day rental of a small item up to large manufacturing of tools and plugs. So the, uh, the IKUK office, uh, specifically in Newton Aycliffe, Big focus on isolation and test plugs, big focus on the manufacturing of a, a variety of different types of poly and foam pigs, right? I mean, that's, yes, that's, yeah, that's, that's the space. And uh, so, great. Now, uh, today, we're going to talk about a particular type of um, uh, hydro testing, well test mm-hmm. plug uh, called the, um, the flexible flange tester. 
So why don't yeah. you uh, why don't you tell us uh, what is a uh, what is a test plug and what's uh, what's a flexible test plug? Well, so this one in particular, so the flange weld test, the standard one, is where somebody would, for whatever reason, they would cut off the end of a pipe, an existing flange off the end of the pipe for corrosion, uh, and they'd they weld on a new flange. Uh, to avoid having to fill that whole section of pipe work up with water or gas or whatever test medium they wish to use, they put a flange weld tester in. So the flange weld tester it's mated to the type of flange, whether it's a class 300, class 150, whatever. Uh, the test unit goes inside, and the length of the test unit is long enough to pass beyond where the new world has been made. Then the test unit is energized to create a high-integrity steel, and then we, all we need to do is then just pressurize that cavity or annulus, whatever you want to call it. So it's only a small volume test, and we can test that new world to whichever Right. Uh, so that's a standard one, which has a fixed length, fixed body. It's not flexible. Uh, and the flexible one is the one we've been working on. Is allows us, because sometimes these flanges are welded on near pipe bends, uh, where, so the, the straight tool may go in, but it may not be able to get a high-integrity seal. So we're now developing a flexible one, which can go around bends. Right. Is it navigating the entire bend or is it simply articulating part of the bend so it can capture the weld on a flange on the end of a bend? Like what's the, uh, I've seen both types of applications. I'm wondering um, what we're talking about here. Yeah. So I was just purely just to ensure it passes beyond where the weld is. Uh, The problem with it being flexible, it couldn't pass too far because it'd be very difficult to put it into the pipe because a flexible joint are the easiest things to push forward. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it only goes just beyond the world enough to be able to do that small annulus test. All right. Okay. So how was this idea um, uh, conceived and, uh, you know, and why? Like, where, where did it come from? The, the, the request came from a customer in Holland uh, with the problem they had. Now, we do have uh, these weld testers, actually, which I didn't mention, which have a, which are elbow shaped, so they do go around bends. Yep. The problem with that is you're obviously then tied to the radius of the bend. Uh, yeah. So there's no flexibility in them, in them at all. So we thought, well, if we have a 100 customers with 100 different applications, we have to build 100 different tools. Right. So it was decided, right. let's build something that could be flexible. And as long as it's the right ID of the pipe, it can be used within any different bend radius. Yeah, we've, I mean, uh, we've worked with IK UK since uh, the inception of the company. And, uh, you know, our innovator business has probably thousands of your plugs uh, across Canada. And, you know, we've, we've, um, we've had you guys design some bespoke custom you know, for uh, international customers. It's bespoke for Canadian customers. It's custom design. <laughs> um, uh just to uh, get the nomenclature right, um, and we've uh, we've we've got one nuclear power plant uh, client in Ontario that uh, you and I uh, work together, and we developed some flexible isolation plugs um, that were that were also used to do sort of low to medium sized hydro tests, navigating fully around the bend and being able to to uh, accomplish. Uh, accomplish some hydro tests in, in that way. So the, the, the range of, of, uh, of ways that your, uh, your tools can navigate bends 
um, uh, I think is is uh, fascinating that uh, you know the, the the types of ways that we we've, we've been able to collaborate together to design uh, design different technology. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, what are some of the uh, the customer applications uh, that you're uh, that you're seeing uh, using flexible tools and um, and what are the you know. You know what are the economic uh, conditions that you know justify that for a customer? Like why does a customer want to do that versus a full system test or uh, in process inspection or whatever it might be? Like what are, why don't we just talk about that for a little bit? Uh, yes, yeah, so, so as we said earlier, was if they don't do a low put test, then they have to fill out fill the whole void of that paperwork. Now, they may be lucky, they may have an isolation valve half a metre away, a metre away from that, where that plant has been replaced. But typically, you wouldn't see that. You know, their next isolation, it could be a few hundred metres away. So that's a large volume of water. If they're using water, which is predominantly the wood, but that's a large volume of water, they would have to get in there. You then have the problem of when you're using water and you go on large distances, you need to ensure it's filled correctly with no air. Uh, so then it involves it's more time, it's more personnel. You then got to look at pumps, where you're going to get your water source from. So I think economically, uh, yes, it can be done, but it's an expensive way to do it. Uh, by using one of these tools, you're talking one man, maybe two men, depending on the size of the tool, just to help load it. It's a small hand pump to put the water in. Uh, it's a small pump just to pressurize it up. There's nothing mechanically needed to drive anything. Uh, and it's because it's a small volume, it fills very quick. And it's a very short test. So uh, basically, it's a no-brainer, I think, to use a tool like this rather than fill up a pipe. Yeah, you know, uh, doing a system hydro test, you know, there's the time, there's the volume. What I found often is uh, not only is it a large volume, it's a lot of time, but if you've got 50 meters of pipe to test, almost in every case, there's going to be a whole bunch of branch connections and it isn't just filling it. It's also a whole bunch of blanks and blinds that need to be installed. And it's a, it's a pretty significant uh, endeavor to do a system test compared to a localized well test, isn't it? Yeah, 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 you're 100% correct there. And I think also the risk with that is you don't know how good them valves isolations are further down the line. So you could be filling forever. Instead of filling that 50 metres of pipework, you're filling 250 metres of pipework and you're not aware of it. And then that causes further problems because you need to get that water back out. Yeah. So it's uh, vitally important when it's actually a maintenance activity on an existing facility versus new construction because... Uh, you don't know where that water is going, and it uh, could be doing more harm than good. Exactly. So, um, all right. We just talked a little bit about how uh, clients um, traditionally address well tests and, um, and specifically um, some of the challenges around uh, elbow tests. But why don't we just dig a little bit deeper in that and kind of explore that a little further? Um, in terms of the traditional way that uh, clients would be addressing uh, weld integrity if they weren't using uh, one of your test tools? Uh, so the traditional way, again, as we've just said, would be uh, with water. Uh, but if they decide not to do that, 
and the other way they do it, and we still see it done quite a lot today. Is you know they do golden welds, uh, you know, but golden welds uh, again, it's an expense for the clients because to do a golden weld, they still need to carry out some sort of extra of the system. So that's an expensive getting that system in. We recently did have a client where there was a miscommunication. Our tools were sent over. Uh, they were designed to their specification, but somebody on the client side had miscommunicated and they put the wrong flanges on. So they did golden welds. So they had to do golden welds without even inspecting them. It was purely a visual inspection. So that side alone could be, it's quite dangerous. So obviously clients prefer not to do that. Uh, yeah, so it's even a golden world, or like we say, it's using the pressurized pump and water. So either of them two ways, they still have uh, you know added expense compared to what what we do and what we provide. Right. Yeah, we've got. I mean, we've got clients who um, either don't realize that there can be a a test plug used for a particular application, or um, or some of the other competing types of plugs that are in the market just can't fit. They're not versatile enough. They, they, they don't go around bends or they're not multi-schedule like uh, some of your seal technologies like the dual tool. And uh, so then they're forced with either doing a system hydro test, uh, planning in process inspection, or getting a whole bunch of technical authority sign-offs on golden welds. And each of them are time-consuming. They involve um, technical risk, um, and um, and they're all more uh, they're all more expensive. So, but it's it's surprising in the marketplace how many clients don't realize the options and uh, and uh, the options and types of tools uh, that are available to them to be able to isolate and hydro test in a local way, like uh, like. Uh, like with your technology, right? Um, let's t- talk a little bit about, um, you know, the value for clients in terms of safety and productivity. Uh, yeah, well, time-wise, uh, it depends on the size of the the job you're doing, but it can be as little as an hour. You know? Okay. I say an hour, they've, they've got to break their pipework anyway. So that time is a cost for them, whether we do it, whether they decide to hide your test, whether they, how they decide to do it, that, break, that breaking down has to happen. When it comes to doing the testing, uh, for us, you know, it's it's fitting on, it's not different to fitting on a single flange, a blind flange, than putting on the flange weld tester that we provide. So the time in that is just the bolting time. If it's small, you know, it's quite quick, as we talked about. Uh, then to pressurise our tools, it takes maybe 15 minutes, 30 minutes to actually pressurize and get the integrity. That's not pressurizing for the test, as in, as in I mean, as in energizing the tool, sort of say. Maybe 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Once you know the seals have got the integrity, then filling in that small volume, again, five, 10 minutes, allow for a bit of uh, stabilization time. And the tests are generally only 15 to 30 minute tests that clients want. So using one of our tools, it can be as quick as taking one hour just to do that test. Yeah, you might get a bit of seepage and you get a few of the issues, but these are things which are easily fixed by just putting more pressure within the seals, energizing a bit more. So the overall thing, yeah, it's a couple of hours in time cost uh, where any other method 
said there's a lot more involved in setting up and pumps and equipment. Uh, so, so it becomes an expensive process, I think. Mm-hmm. What about safety? Let's uh, let's talk a little bit um, about uh, the advantages of uh, doing tests this way from a safety standpoint. Uh, yeah, again, for safety, uh, you know, we're only pressurizing a, a very small volume of pipework. So there's only a small area which is at risk from anybody external to what's going on. You don't have to worry about burying off 150 metres of pipework, etc. Uh, it's very, very localised, as in even at the end, there's only that one flange. Uh, our guys, basically, they can stand right next to the test as long as they're stood to the side and away from any lines of fire. Uh, there's no problems at all. There's no need to be shutting, never mind burying off, but on the process plants, there's no need to be shutting down large areas so other people can carry on working the area as well. Uh, so any, any risk is very, very minimum. Everything which is used is rated, but again, because it's only a small uh, product and a small test as such, there's only one hose which is under pressure, and that's only a top end hose. It's only a small volume of water, even if something does burst, it energizes very, very quickly. So there's there's obviously safety risks and everything anything to do with pressure testing, but yeah, extremely minimized this application. What I've always liked um, about your range of tools is the versatility uh, across the different uh, types of seal designs and tool designs to be able to. Um, be flexible in terms of low pressure tests, medium pressure tests, high pressure tests. You know, the um, most of the uh, tools in the marketplace um, that are available to clients are really compression O-ring tools. You know, you're taking a a plate and compressing two O-rings, and you're trying to create rubber pressure by bolting them together. You know, with with your tool designs, with the the inflatable tire design or with the uh, partial self-energizing of the IWT. Um, in particular, those two tools give you a lot of flexibility in terms of efficiency um, and in terms of uh, <clears throat> being able to really get work done, uh, I would say, much faster than, than the O-ring tools that are on the market. What I've seen, um, you know, the what most clients are seeing is a, uh, a compression tool, and they're pretty good for Schedule 40, Schedule 80 kinds of piping systems, you know, in, under 1,000 PSI of pressure. But the minute you get into higher pressure applications, they start to struggle, and they've got to play around with um, O-ring diameters and O-ring hardnesses to try to get a seal. And, you know, with, you know, we've got a whole fleet of your IWT tools and, you know, those tools, um, you know, particularly in the higher pressure and the heavier schedules, you know, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 uh, PSI hydro tests, you know, one nut, turn it, activate seals, pressurize it, it self-energizes and you're, you know, you can get that tool up pressure and performing the hydro test in, you know, 15 minutes, a half an hour and, and, and you're in your hold time. So I, I found, I found the IWT tool, just such an efficient tool for doing the high pressure stuff. 
and I just love the the tire, um, the inflatable tire system, because most most clients who are listening to this or will be listening to this, they're not dealing with a brand new piping system. They're they've got ovality, they've got pitting, they've got internal erosion and corrosion, um, and you know the the flexibility with the the tire tool uh, to be able to accommodate all those you know, effectively wear and tear issues on their piping system is just far superior to um, to an O-ring that uh, has very minimal um, ability to expand and fill the fill the fill the gap. So, you know, I, I think you know what you guys have done in terms with tire tools and with self-energizing on the IWT is are just you know really much better technology than. Than I've seen anywhere else, particularly in North America. There's really, there's really no other tools in in Canada, or United States that um, that that are as effective at uh, at getting hydro tests done as the combination of of the the dual tool and the IWT. I think they they are way better. Um, I often talk with clients, and they when they're used to using the the O-ring type tools that are on the market, and you know, it's, you know, the issue is they can't get a seal. You know, it isn't that the weld is not, you know, doesn't have integrity. It's that they can't get the hydro test to do the weld because either it's a, you know, 2,500 pound uh, per square inch hydro test. Uh, I'm, I'm using PSI. I know you guys would speak in bar, but uh, most of the people in North America would be thinking about, uh, about PSI and, uh, uh, and you know, and you know, th- those higher pressure tests, they, uh, the traditional tools on the market seem to struggle. And you know, so many clients have you know a 15, 20, 30 year old facility, and when they're doing a maintenance weld, uh, they're changing the piping system. They're going to have pitting and erosion and corrosion on the inside of the pipe. And I, I find the uh, the the tire on the dual tool system is just a just a fantastic, uh, fantastic uh, seal mechanism for for being able to do that, and you know, at least for us, having the combination of you know on a maintenance project of having both IW the internal weld test tools and the tire tools um, is a great one-two punch for being able to hydro test almost anything, you know, and you know, in and and being able to do that in a really short period of time versus um, um, versus fighting with it. Let's uh, let's dig into um, R and D and research and development, um, and uh, you know how has that all come about, and what's that journey look like in terms of what your guys do in R and D, uh, how long it takes, um, you know the uh, the engineering and the, the the factory assessment tests and all that kind of stuff that you guys do. Why don't we dive into that a little bit? Uh, okay, so. <clears throat> When we first did this uh, initial drawings, because it was uh, in the application, so the initial drawings probably take about three to four weeks trying to do some calculations and get everything correct. You know, and when the guys model it, they want to model it correctly to go on the bend. Uh, so this one, I say, it was three to four weeks when we got to a point when we started to go through the build and test in the workshop, which is the real part of research and development. Uh, we then came across quite a few 
issues which we just didn't expect to see and you, you couldn't do on a modeling system anyway. So what we found was when we insert, well, the first thing actually was handling of the tool. Because uh, obviously as soon as you go to pick it up, it's not flexible. We're used to picking up rigid tools and they're easy to pick. All of a sudden you're picking up this thing which has got a mind of its own. So the handling and insertion initially became an issue. Uh, we'd only put on uh, the weight support bearings. So they, 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 we use them as the wheels type things. They hadn't put them on on both sides of the seals. They would only put them on one side, thinking that was sufficient. Again, due to being flexible, we found just getting it in was very, very difficult. So we had to really relook really at that initially. Then once we managed to get it in, it wasn't seating perpendicular to the pipe wall as we'd like it to. And again, you couldn't see what was going on inside. And again, this was just due to the method of insertion and the method of supporting the seals and when it went in. So it needed a bit of a, a bit of a, it wasn't even calculated adjustments. It was just a bit of taking it out, let's take a measurement, let's readjust, let's have a fiddle till we got what, what was the sweet spot. So when we finally managed to get it to go in, we then found as we pressurized, it would start to creep and it would move out of shape. So again, even though we might have thought it was perpendicular, the way the forces were applied internal, it would knock it off to one side and it would start to extrude the seal. So then we had to start looking at how the flexible joint was fitted, the, the method of it fitting. Uh, and then before we even moved on to changing the flexible joint, we also found it was creeping, but we thought the creep was, as I've just said, the seal. But when we looked into it, it wasn't the seal that was creeping. It was the joint itself. And it was the material within the joint. So we basically went back to the drawing board, we looked at calculations, and the two we were using, I can't size, I apologize for that, but we worked out that there was 30 tons of force was on the other side of the flexible joint. And we initially put a, we put a chain in, which was up to the job, but what was happening was it was actually elongating the links in the chain. So that's why the two was creeping. As the two was creeping, it was causing the sails to extrude. So this, uh, was, this was elongating the chain when you had it under pressure? Had it under pressure, yeah. And that, getting, getting the seal portion to actually walk away from the front of the flange? That's exactly what it was doing. It was just trying to push its way into the pipeline. Uh, now, when the chain was put on, it's not just an open chain for protection. It's it's potted in sealed within polyurethane. So you can't see what's going on initially. So when we worked out and realized what was happening, we said, okay, then we need to change this. But even though it was for the client and it was research and development, there was obviously still a time constraint. This was required for the job. So we realized the chain we had wasn't any good and we would need to get some pretension cables Problem there was pretension cables were on a very, very long lead time, so we couldn't get them. So we had to relook at chain. So we ended up with quite a large chunky chain. We went to a lifting company uh, and we put this large chunky chain in and we repotted it. Uh, we reset everything up. Uh, it then became extremely heavy. So at the moment, the tool is an extremely heavy and extremely chunky piece of equipment. But we managed to get it in, we managed to get it seat, and we've managed to get it sealed, and we've got it working. So, 
So at the moment, it's even though it does work, I wouldn't say it looks pretty. It doesn't look pretty, and it is definitely a work in progress. We need to look at more lightweight, stronger materials to allow us to put it in. We need to still look at how it can be fed in and out. We've only tried it in the one bend radius pipe. Well, the whole point is it can go around different bend radiuses. Even, even though it doesn't go far, it's still going to tackle different bend radiuses. So this is an ongoing development, and we'll carry on testing in-house. The tool is away on the job with the client at the moment. We've had no further feedback. We've had no, no complaints, no nothing. So once that's finished with it, we'll come back, and then we will continue with developing it further and further. What's the uh, what was the test pressure for this tool that the client is using it on? It was it was only thirty bar. It's a thirty bar. It is just over thirty tons. Okay. So. And um, the tire or the seal mechanism is this a tire type seal? It was a tire type seal. It was hydraulically activated. Hydraulically. Uh, yeah, yeah. So with it being hydraulically activated, it's not a solid seal. So then it's more prone to extrusion and to creeping. Right. Any, you know, we have, we use hydrostatic inflatable seals um, in most of the tools we've gotten from you with, I think, a maximum um, inflation pressure in the range of 300 PSI. Um, I'm not sure what that is in bar. I can't do the, the, uh, the math in my head divided by seven or whatever it is. Um, but um, what's the hydraulically, what's the inflation pressure on, on these tools? Well, so this one, so Gavin's just quickly worked it out. So your 300 PSI is 11 bar. This one, we plan to only take it to about 15 bar. Uh, I know it got to over 30 bar in the end. Uh, but this was when it was creeping and extruding. Uh, once we got the issue solved, uh, they were taken up to about 15 bar. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that just goes to show you I'm out of practice with uh, being in the field, and I, I suggested that uh, PSI to bar was a factor of seven when it's an atmospheric pressure of 14.7 or something, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my, uh, my my field days have just come back, and I uh, I now know how to do the math. Good thing for calculators, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, as a company, you know what what I've seen. You know, we've done a lot of creative stuff together. Uh, I've come up with a lot of crazy ideas and drawn it on napkins, and then handed it to your engineers, and you guys have modeled it, and then we've done, built prototypes. Uh, Built them in, built them in your shop. There, we've done factory assessment tests there. So you know, I mean, the way that you guys work from what I really like and what I observe, whether it's me as a client and partner or an end user, you know, they're coming to you with a problem. Hey, we have to isolate or hydro test this really strange situation. And what I love about um, what I love about IK. Is um, in your old um, your your old facility in Aberdeen, which was the original uh, online electronics office, was about 300 meters from uh, from our flat, the flat that my wife and I own in Aberdeen. So we would drive by it all the time, uh, and of course we would see 
uh, IK's little, uh, you know, it was online electronics, but IK had their sign on the, uh, in front of the building, and it always said, IK, challenge accepted. Um, and, you know, and it resonates so much with our own, um, with, with our own core values around we innovate in everything we do and we find a way challenge accepted. I think the values that um, our two companies share really align. We've had a lot of great success stories because of that. You know, for me personally, uh, you know, I come, I have a harebrained idea about designing a new way to isolate or hydro test. Um, You guys take that idea. uh, Your engineers play with it. They model it. We come up with a concept. You build it in your shop. We build the test rigs. You do the factory assessment tests. And by the time you, um, I, or the client gets the tool, it's tried to test it and true and ready to use. And, um, and it's always successful in the field because of that, uh, that factory assessment testing. I think the, you know, the, um, the way a lot of, um, the way a lot of people see the test plug market, particularly in North America, is there's a whole pile of these standard things built, and you know, here's what we have. Try it, see if it works. Um, and so much of what you guys do is, as your model says, challenge accepted. And I've experienced that so many times over the years that we've we've built a lot of really cool uh, solutions. Um, and you know what you're doing with this. Uh, with this uh, flexible tool is, is just a, a testament to, to that kind of commitment to innovation, right? Yeah. Um, where do you see taking the technology? Where, where are we going with this? Well, we'd like to obviously master at least this one size we've got, which we, we will do. We're nearly there. And uh, then we need to take it, like the rest of our tools, we need to have the suite of sizes uh, and then see where we can adapt it into the tools we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at the moment we have one suite of tools of one type and then another suite of another type, but there's not a little, there's not a lot of adaption across them. So we need to be looking at not just applying the flexibility to the tools, but there's something else. Uh, we're actually thinking about trying to make things modular as well. So, I mean, so what would be ideally is where you could have. Uh, an inline well tester with a fixed body and then all of a sudden we could convert that to a flexible trans well tester by just changing a couple of components and things within it. Uh, I mean, this has purely been at a discussion stage. We've had a few talks, uh, but we think that would be ideal because we think giving someone an item that's modular where they can do multiple tasks with it is far more cost-effective and beneficial than having one tool to do one particular job. Even though the flexible tester, it is a, it's a great idea because we can use it in a flexible, so in a bend, and we can all use also use it as a standard straight application. Mm-hmm. It would be nice to be able to adapt it and end up with flex, flexible inline well testers, flexible twin tire multi tools, which you have already, flexible fans well testers. We put it along across the whole suite of tools, and that's where the objective is. The the tool that you have in uh, that you've just done the uh, R and D and factory assessment testing on, and it's in the field. What was the uh, diameter size of that uh, ballpark? Sixteen, 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 okay, sixteen inches. Okay, and you know, can you see this being adapted uh, to smaller diameters, to larger diameters, so that you cover a more 
a wider suite of, of pipe bend diameters? It's Yeah, the, the, the challenge there is depending on the size. Obviously, it also depends on the pressures. Uh, you know, if somebody wants to use it in a, a small diameter, then we're limited to what we can use with a flexible joint and the, the and obviously the tensile strength of that flexible joint. So, uh, again, this is something that's work in progress of what is the smallest we can do to the largest pressure we can do and vice versa. Uh, and so even on the 16 inch, just the handling of it alone can get a bit difficult. We need to think that if we start getting up into 24 inch and 32 inch sizes, you're getting into some pretty heavy, uh, heavy rigging in terms of uh, either the pretension cables or the um, or the chain. What I what I always find um, interesting when I when I talk both with technicians who use the tools and often clients is they'll say something to me like, "Oh, it's only a 500 psi test." Uh, yeah, but. You know, it's it's a 36 inch diameter face, so you know there's a there's a few million pounds of force there, <laughs> as you know, and in and in designing the uh, the tools, particularly when it's flexible, um, you know, you've got to take into account because you're you're effectively, um, you know, the rigging between the seal and the opening, whether it's chain or cable or some sort of an articulation. Um, it's got you know it's got to be designed just like a lifting device in, in terms of its load capacity because it is we are sometimes dealing with millions of pounds of separation force. Yes. Um, the larger you go, uh, you know, even small diameters, you know, something like um, five, six, seven bar on a on a thirty-six inch area is is huge huge loads. Yeah. This particular tool, sixteen inch. Um, I, I don't know. I can't recall in, earlier in the conversation. What's the client's uh, desired test pressure on this one? Uh, it was it was twenty nine bar, which was why we were testing. Yeah, it was twenty nine bar. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Um, now let's uh, let's just dig into um, what. What are customers normally asking when they're looking at this tool or when they're coming to you with all kinds of other challenges? You know, what are the normal frequently asked questions that we can kind of walk through one at a time and uh, try to pre-answer those questions for people who are listening to this when they're thinking about they've got some, they either, they either have high pressure uh, tests to do, they need a tire tool for doing a range of um, medium pressure tests. They've got flexible uh, elbows and bends to go around. What are you normally hearing from clients when they're coming to you and they're asking questions? So I want to just walk, spend some time talking about those and see how many, um, we'll try to anticipate what questions people would be thinking when they hear us talking now. Um, what, what are the normal things you're hearing? The first thing we actually is, uh, I think they just assume we can do anything. So the, the first question is basically, is our problem, can you do it? And they give us minimum information and expect us to be able to solve the problem. Right. Uh, so, you know, so we, we have a bit of digging, we extract as much information out of them as we can. Uh, and then immediately it, it leaves a technical side behind and immediately it's then, well, how quick can we have this? 
Right. And I think that they don't seem to understand, yeah, if it's a product that's on the shelf and it's an everyday product, then yes, it's, it's not a problem. But if they're coming to us with what is a problem and it needs a solution, uh, it's very difficult to give a time frame. We try to give a time frame and we try to say six to eight weeks. But as, as we found with this too, once you get into the real testing of the concept, it then it has its own challenges and its own problems and that time frame it just gets longer and longer uh, yeah I mean, a lot of the time it's um you know what i found is the client who's reaching out for that one problem test that you know they may or may not even know that it's non-standard um and they're often um you know a project planner who's trying to find a solution so they can source the right equipment to solve it sometimes it's it's um it's the piping engineer, but a lot of the time it's either the piping engineer or the, or the people who are the, uh, the work planners and, um, they don't understand, um, the data that we need or, or the lead times. Uh, and you know, a great, a great project that we've done together more recently for a client, um, was developing, um, test tools for hub connections, specifically um, some Greylock, uh, Greylock flange testers. And um, we, we built the, we actually built, um, the customer has a, a lot of these connections and we actually have a lot of clients who have uh, hub connection flanges um, because they've moved away from RTJ ring joints in high pressure connections and they use a lot of hub connections. Um, Greylock is a big one. Um, another type of hub connection that uh, some of our clients use is uh, another manufacturer, slightly different hub design called SecureMax. Um, one, no one else is doing that kind of hydro testing with those kinds of plugs, so they're they're always faced with uh, doing you know system hydro tests or golden welds or uh, or non-destructive testing, and uh, you know we we were approached saying, hey, can you come up with a way to uh, use plug tests on Greylocks. And we said, well, I, I knew instantly we could, but, it, you know, and they went, they immediately went to, oh, when can I have it? Can I, can you have it here next week? I'm like, well, you know, I don't have it on the shelf. We know how to build that type of a tool, uh, but here's the process. Number one, we need all your data, you know, size, material, pipe schedule, uh, uh, some dimensions around where the weld is going to be to make sure we design if, if it isn't uh, depending on how how close we are to obstructions um, and obviously the the test pressure um, and then we have to do the design and there's a lead time on materials much like um, your high tension cables you know building that first gray lock uh, tool for that client, and we built it just to do to, to demonstrate to them that it could be done. It was, I think, four or six weeks to be able to get the 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 hub um, from Greylock so that we could build the tool. Um, so that, you know, there's often a lot of lead time, uh, but those you know those things can be done. But understanding lead time from a can you do it? Well, I think, you know, between you guys and us, you know, our answer is almost always yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. We can, uh, whether it's challenge accepted or we find a way. Um, 
you know, both of us have a similar motto that, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm certain we can, you know, it's, you know, here's the date, here's the information we need. And, you know, you got to give us a, you got to give us at least a few days or a week to evaluate the sourcing of materials and uh, because they don't, you know, most, many clients don't, when we're developing a new tool, a lot of clients don't understand that we need the data. Okay. Then we need to do the design. Then we need to source the materials. Then we need to build and assemble the tool. And we want to make sure we do a factory assessment test in a test rig to prove that the tool is going to do what the client needs before we put it in their hands. Um, so I think on a, on a really fast schedule, um, that might be four weeks. And realistically, that's eight weeks or 12 weeks, depending on if we have, um, have tough lead times on things like flange materials or, as you mentioned, uh, tension cables. Um, what, what else are we talking about? Um, what other kinds of questions uh, other than can you do it and, uh, and how long? I think it's important for customers to understand the process of what it takes to design and test and make ready a custom tool so they have good expectations about delivery uh, you know, we've got some projects going on right now with those Greylock connections. Um, but now the client, you know, it, we worked with them for, they had, they came to us with uh, three or four different jobs and wanted the tool in their hands in two weeks. And, uh, you know, we finally had to go ahead and build a demo tool to show them that it could be done and gather all the stakeholders and explain, like, this is a six or eight week process, maybe even 12 weeks if if we've got to wait on Greylock to uh, provide the hubs. So if you want to do 20 of these on your next project, you know, we really need to be starting to talk about them and getting commitments uh, in December or January. Uh, if you want to do these kinds of hydro tests on a maintenance turnaround come May or June uh, so that you can actually, they can be ready for you. Uh, I think that's a really important thing for clients to understand. Certainly, you know, you guys have been great to be able to do bespoke work in two and three weeks for me sometimes, but uh, those are the those are the extreme situations. I think not the not the norm. Yeah, now, another thing I find along with everything you've said has been the problem is when it's a new product, a new concept. I always find the client seems to want detailed engineering drawing. When it's something yeah. we've not done before, we're not going to spend a week, 10 days doing a detailed engineering drawing and them to then say, actually, we don't want it now. That's a lot okay. of time and expense. And and we see this a lot. So we're happy to do general, you know, general arrangement drawings and we're happy to do right. budget drawings. But yeah, we are constantly getting people asking for the detail and you have to explain to them, obviously in a nice way, Look, there's a there's a balance here between what we can do up front and what we can do once we've received an order, because it's all time and money. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the time, you know, with, with those two kinds of, of of clients in terms of their role, um, whether it's the planners or it's the engineers, the engineers like the details, which means you know their way of making decisions is show me as much detail up front so that I can make a decision. Um, and you know, when it's an R and D project. The the uh, the fact is is that you know as we're developing a new tool, there might be a few different versions. So giving you a detailed design of something that we haven't we haven't prototyped and tested and 
maybe come up and had to make three modifications through our through our experimenting in the shop, it, it, it's not the right way to make the decision. Um, what I find with planning um, planners and sort of the, the field execution clients is they want to see it, touch it, and feel it. They, they actually want a demonstration. Show me this tool. Well, the tool doesn't exist. And then it's a bit of a chicken and an egg thing, you know, with uh, with this one client with the Greylock connectors, and similarly with what we did with uh, building uh, reverse tension testers uh, to help um, uh, another client. They wanted to see it and feel it, and so you know they weren't they weren't able to make a decision until we did that. So what, you know what we did together is is we just committed to build some of these tools ourselves specifically on the um uh on the on the thinking that if we build it they will come <laughs> and um and you know the field of dreams with kevin costner thing and you know and in each case it it, it it it's speculating that this you know we've, we've got a client that has a lot of need for um doing uh hydro testing that is both radially and actually that's why we built these flange tension testers and now we own a fleet of about 80 of them um, specifically for one client that has that spec. And now the Greylock ones, um, similar, we, we, we were talking with that client for probably two years saying that, yes, this can be done, but each time they would call, they, hey, I've got a job in two weeks. Do you have a Greylock tester? No, we have the ability to, to build them, but we need a job. Um, and it was kind of that, that chicken and an egg conversation for, for quite a long time. And then my... My, my sales and my operations team came to me and said, look, we, we, we've got to speculate on this a little bit. And uh, so we did. And um, we worked with you guys and we built, I think it was a six-inch Greylock uh, flange tester. And, uh, and we built a, a test rig um, and, and went to their site and had 30 of their people in the room and demoed that, yes, Greylock's uh, you know, hub connectors can be plug tested. And the minute we had that demo, all of a sudden they had like 30 flanges that they needed to do, um, uh, you know, in the future. Uh, it, it was, it's, it's quite interesting, you know, whether, the, whether it's the detailed engineering that you need to provide or if it's the demo, um, those, those, those two paths seem to be the way to, to, uh, to move forward with building new technology and I think it was kind of similar when we built the elbow test plugs uh, a number of years ago. Yeah. Everyone said they wanted it. No one wanted to buy one until until I bought a fleet of them. <laughs> uh, you know, what are they asking about costs? Like, how does that conversation go? Uh, again, it's when it's a new product. Uh, it's a difficult one, as we all know. Every customer wants everything for nothing, <laughs> so. When it's a new product, it's it's obviously not just uh, the cost of the materials and the engineering, but it's the it's the test rigs. And especially, you know, you mentioned Greylocks. We ourselves are starting to see this a bit more common. Yeah. Uh, most of our in-house test rigs we have do not have Greylocks on them. Sure, they would, so, and and it's not it's it's not very cost effective unless you have a need for them because. Uh, you know, I'm sure clients know this um, when they're installing them on actual piping systems, but hub connection flanges are not cheap. They're certainly an order of magnitude more expensive than weld neck, raised neck, uh, uh, raised face flanges. 
And so yeah. building, building uh, testing rigs just to be able to prove the tool, you know, it, those are thousands of dollars, those flanges. So um, it, it, it's a process for sure. Yeah, I mean, we, we recently had a client who was off to the, a smaller size test unit, but with a Greylock. Price without the Greylock was fine. As soon as we put the Greylock on it, they just changed it completely and decided not to go ahead because, as you said, there's a lot of expense. You know, uh, yeah. So it, it is a fine line for us, and even when it comes to the test rigs, if it's a common size and we feel it's something would be used many, many times, then we can try and reduce that cost uh, and then spread it over multiple jobs. But quite common, these tools aren't used that often. So that cost, maybe most of that cost initially is passed on to the first client. Right. I think the trick is not be the first one, be the second one, you'll get it cheaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when it's a rare job, the first one pays for all the capital costs because uh, you can't, it, you know, unless they're buying the tool themselves, if they simply want to use it for one one test, it's uh, uh, it's uh, speculative. I know I know we've got, with, with the Greylock connections, I think we have a client right now that has... Uh, I think it's six 18-inch tests to do. So they are the first client for that tool. When they give us the order, uh, they say it's you know it's in it's in the it's in the queue. Um, but they're able to spread the cost of that 18-inch tool over six uh, over six different tests on the one project. So that that certainly makes it uh, a little more affordable to do uh, to do those jobs. Um, what about the uh, the idea of you know you know has it been done before? Is it proven? You know how do you you know I'm sure you get that question a lot. How do uh, how do you address that with clients? Uh, well, obviously, with there been a new tool, uh, the answer has to be it hasn't been used before. But we always assure them that we do lots and lots of in-house testing, and we do. I mean, this flexible tester it's had numerous amounts of testing in and out of the test rig, different ways, different ways of lifting, uh, because we're not prepared to let anything leave our facility unless we are 100% sure that it's going to work and it's going to, and it's going to be safe to use. Right. Uh, so that, that's all we can really do is give them a bit of verbal confidence. Uh, that also, you know, we could end up testing some things that would be ready in six weeks. It doesn't work. It's never been used before. It becomes a major problem. So we try our best to make their, meet their timelines and give them the confidence that even though it's not being done, we can do it. Uh, we, we've had to have guys in over the weekend where we thought this tool is going to work and at the last minute, in fact, this flexible was a perfect example. It was due to ship out on a Friday. It seemed to be fine. And then all of a sudden, it just started to leak and we had a problem. And the guys in our weekend do not they could to get this tool working. So everybody, you know, they lost yeah. the time off, they lost the weekend, but we still managed to get the tool out the door in the end. Uh, that's all they can do. You can just try and give them as much confidence as possible and try our best to achieve the end objective. Yeah. I think what a lot of, uh, you know, what I see and, and how I address that with clients, that's probably different than what they're used to at least, um, in North America is, um, is factory assessment testing. What, you know, what I love about engineering in the UK is factory assessment testing for, for bespoke, um, engineering is, 
is common practice. It's just how you do things there. Um, so, you know, the idea that, yes, it's a new tool, but by the time you get it, we'll have already tested it in, in a test rig and proven it. Um, I think that's, that, that builds, um, a lot of confidence that when the, when they, the client gets the tool at that point, it's been used because it's been proven. Um, not necessarily in, you know, the R and D part hasn't been proven, but you know, you know, a long track record of designing tools with similar types of seals and ideas and components. Um, but the FAT is, is the confidence builder. You know, what I really love about that in, in particular, you think about a tool that's one use high risk in terms of make sure it works is when, is when we work together to design nozzle testers, uh, the nozzle test plugs. And, you know, whenever we, and we, we, we've built a lot of nozzle test tools with you guys over the last uh, three or four years. And the nozzle test tool comes uh, housed in the test rig so that you can literally, uh, it ships with it. And um, so you can show the client, you know, we built the test rig to match your exact uh, nozzle conditions for your pressure vessel, for your, um, for your situation and being able to demonstrate that, you know, to actually literally use the test rig um, to show them that the nozzle tester is going to work is a, is a major um, confidence builder for them. Because a lot of the time when a client is testing a nozzle on a pressure vessel, it's got to work. Like there isn't uh, you know, it, it isn't, you know, by the time that they do the welding and they fit that nozzle, um, they don't have, they can't, you know, there's no golden weld on a nozzle. No, no pressure authority is going to sign off on a golden weld if they can't hydro test it. Um, the alternative to the tool not working is to have to fill the entire pressure vessel um, and hydro test it. And a lot of the time when they're doing that, it's not water. They're having to use methanol or some other much more expensive uh, solvent to uh, to do that hydro test so the and, the and and it could throw the entire cost and of and the schedule of the project in array so the uh, the, the test rigs and the fat is is the is the other tool things that uh for me for me as your client and partner builds a lot of confidence for me and it's exactly how when we're building custom tools for our clients um that we give them confidence that by the time the tool gets here it's tried and true and proven I think that's a really great standardized practice that you guys have. And I know I get a lot of value and confidence from it. I would rather it be uh, take three weeks longer because there were some issues on the FAT than to ship it on schedule and test it on this side of the pond. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, what about uh, what kinds of questions do you get about uh, pipe schedules? Yeah, well, you know, basically they'll, can you do it to this schedule? No, the schedule generally isn't the problem. Uh, it's when you tie it up with the factors. You know, we can make anything to any size, but it depends on exactly what you want it to do and how you want to do it. You know, we can make a big plug to run a big hole. We can make a small plug to run a small hole, but what's its purpose and what's it need to do? Uh, it's when you extract the other information from them and you end up with a whole picture of what's going on, then that then starts to raise eyebrows and raise problems. Uh, but also, you know, we can't have a tool for every single schedule available. So we'll try to design them 
a couple of one or two schedules at a time. Uh, but then again, if you've got a, a tool for uh, design for the very large wall thickness and they go to the extreme of that schedule to wall thickness, we've got quite a large area we need the seals to extrude. So the problem there then is, okay, we can do one that would go into a, you know, from a shed standard, uh, which will down to a shed 20 or something or vice versa. But we then think, well, that affects the pressures because then, you know, instead of only making up a gap of a couple of mil from the size of the tool to the pipe wall, it's trying to make up maybe five, six, seven mil. So that has further implications on the tools. Yeah. You know, maybe in time, if there's enough demand and requests for these tools at some point, we may have one every single schedule or maybe just a couple, one or two schedules. But at the moment, it's to try to cover the range of them as best we can. And right now you're talking specifically about the newer flexible tool in terms of what schedules you've got. Because I know you've yeah. done a lot of work with a lot of your other tools and have a broader range of schedules in some of the uh, the more uh, standardized tools that you've got in your fleet now, right? Yeah, because there's been a large demand for them, then there's a justifiable case to make you know a large fleet of these. You know, and, and we don't just have one to cover each schedule. We might actually have 10 to cover each schedule. We've got quite a large fleet. And it would be the same with this. As, as demand picks up, if demand does pick up, then you know, it, it's worth investing to have more tools available. Uh, yeah, because also we can't have customers asking us for the product and every single time saying, well, we need six to eight weeks to develop this and to test it. We want to be able to say, yes, we've got one on the shelf bit of in-house tests and we can get it out in a day or two. And that's what we'd like to be. What are customers asking about uh, test pressures? Like what kinds of things are you getting there? Yeah, so, so, so that leads on from the previous question is, depending on the, the schedule design of the tool, the test pressure has a big implication on the seals, which is all very well done. So they can extrude uh, and we won't achieve the seal. But also... With this particular tool, as we spoke about earlier, uh, then high pressures have major implications with the joints and the integrity of the joint, the flexible joint, and can it hold? Uh, so, again, it's something since we've experienced the problems with this, it does get looked at. But you know, we can't spend too much time suddenly thinking, right, how is this going to affect us on a 32-inch tool? Somebody brings those up tomorrow and requests us to do a 30-inch tool, then we'll look at it in detail. But right. this first application of this tool has made us more aware of something which we didn't really think was going to be a major problem. Uh, and I think that's just because all our tools we have on the shelf, the ones that go up to high pressures, are all solid-bodied tools. So we didn't appreciate the issue we were going to suddenly see, which which we have. So yeah, that, that, uh, that force that's created doesn't have a separation force because it's uh, both sides of the seals are tied together, whether it's a flange yeah. tester or an internal weld tester or, or a tire tool, they all have uh, you know, a fixed body that, you know, it's pushing against itself, not against, uh, not against a flexible uh, exactly. articulation or chain or, or cable. Yeah. And I think with any type of tools we do though, you know, pressure is always a challenge because we, we like to be able to achieve what the customer wants, but it has to be done extremely safely. And it's, it's always going to be a challenge. We don't want anyone getting hurt and we don't want tools exploding inside any pipework, which then has its 
own problems as well. So questions that I was asked about, I was inquired about, and I was taken very seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, we've got tools from you that we've used up to in the range of 8,000 PSI, I think is the highest end um, that we've used. We've got a lot of our, um, a lot of your standard tools come, uh, the, the, uh, the internal well testers, when it's uh, uh, schedule specific, they tend to be, I think, out of the box around like 3350 PSI. I see Gavin quickly doing math on bars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Who was it said? Uh, Winston Churchill said uh, uh, Britain and uh, the Americas are uh, two nations uh, separated by a common language, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I know, that, I know that's true in my household because uh, my wife being from Aberdeen and me being from uh, Canada and specifically originally from Newfoundland, Canada, there's, uh, we both speak uh, only one language, and it's supposed to be English, and I don't think anyone in the world would agree that either of us speak English other than, <laughs> other than, the, two, other than the two islands that we both come from. Um, and, uh, and we've got this beautiful daughter who uh, is a hybrid between a Canadian, a Newfie, and a, and a Scot, and uh, so she's got a really quirky accent. So. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the uh, the bar to PSI is just one of a thousand different uh, terminologies that we, uh, we we speak differently about. What about um, uh, availability? Obviously, if it's a um, uh, a custom tool and they're asking how long, we kind of had that conversation. Um, but availability uh, for standard tools, you have a fleet of tools in. Uh, in your facilities that you're offering for hire, you say hire, I say rent. <laughs> um, you're, you, you, you've got a hire fleet in Newton Acliffe, right? Yeah, yeah, we've got quite a large hire fleet. Uh, but the availability is purely down to demand of customers. Uh, you know, it depends when shutdowns are going on or TARS, I don't know what you guys call them over there. But uh, when the shutdowns start turnarounds are on, it seemed to happen, you know, due to our climate. You know, they seem to happen around the same time in the summer months. Same time. Every yeah. client has a turnaround or shutdown at the same time, and they all want tools at the same time. Exactly, and that's what happens. Everything goes out at the same time. So, say, even though we do have a large fleet, they are constantly run out. It's an extremely busy time for the guys in the workshop because nothing ever leaves here until it's tested. It doesn't matter if it goes out shipped, not used, and comes back in the following day. It will be tested again before it leaves here. Uh, like so, you're, testing yeah. the pl- you're testing the plugs to confirm their uh, their integrity and capability before they go out on each hire, yeah. correct? Yeah. yeah, every single time, yeah, tested. Yeah. Because we, we, we don't know what's happened to them, and obviously it's our responsibility to make sure, not that just people are safe, but make sure the tool does what it's intended to do. You know, the knock-on effect of us sending out a tool to a customer doesn't work, you know, and that turnaround that could be critical into the planning of a whole shutdown that's going Absolutely. on. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, so that so that keeps us extremely busy. Uh, we try our best to meet the demands. We try. Some customers are very good when they take our tools. They'll tell us how long they're going to use them for. So, if somebody says, "I need a ten-inch well tester." You know, we can generally have an idea if one is due to come back in, and we can try and chase it up to meet their demands. 
Right. But sometimes it's just impossible. It's just too much there. The turnaround of tools from here is just astonishing sometimes how much is going in and out constantly. Right. It's just crazy. Now, um, you're servicing all of the UK and the North Sea out of Newton Ecliff. I know you have offices up in Aberdeen. Do you have any higher fleet up there, or is it mainly a, a sales office? Like, how do you how do you handle that? Everything is kept here. There's higher fleet. It's okay. all kept here in the UK, and That's actually, right. we we service global. We get people all over the world asking even for rental. Yeah. Uh, it depends on what that application is. Global, it's more purchase or manufacturing purchase, but Sometimes I have short time frames. So, you know, the Middle East, we get quite a few requests for rental to send them over there. And we do have a, we have a small office in the Middle East. We have an office there, also in Singapore. But they are it's a mainly sales offices. So all the higher fleet is kept here. Right. Okay. Well, and of course, if uh, any of your customers in North America want higher fleet, I've got lots of them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, I probably own more of your tools than you do, I bet. <laughs> well, we haven't. There's the client who actually asked for this flexible one. I think they could be the same. They, they think, own an awful lot of them as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right, let's, uh, let's kind of shift gears and think about, you know, we talked about the technology and your company, and we talked about the frequently asked questions that we both get from, from customers but what should customers really be thinking about or asking and aren't like they're not, you know, they're, they're not thinking or asking certain questions, but they should be. What, what do you think? Uh, what do you think they should be thinking about? Well, a lot of times they don't even, uh, they don't give us the, the full information of what they're doing. You know, so you know, we're doing a, we're doing a 10 bar test on a 12 inch, 20 bit of pipework. Can you do a tool for it? And I think, I think they disconnect us from what they are. I think maybe they see us as a manufacturing facility, which, yes, it is predominantly. But we're still an oil and gas company, and they're oil and gas. You know, you know, myself, 18 years in the field. I was at 15-odd years in the field. So we've been stood where they are, and it's that lack of information and communication. And I, th- I think maybe just because they don't realise... You know, but we are the same as them. We've done the same thing as them. So it can it can get difficult trying to extract the information. I find we can also get a little, you know, maybe a few days. I mean, we're not talking long period of time, but a few days in putting together quotes and communicating with the customer, and then something just suddenly gets mentioned, and you're like, oh, no, and that was extremely important. Maybe you should have told us that earlier. So I think there's very much a, a, a disconnect there between us and them. But, you know, they've never met us with just somebody and ended the phone. So I can understand that's how the mentality is. So I try and I'm trying to create a relationship with the people I speak to more than understanding. Uh, what I have found is the better your relationship, actually, the less inf- less information you get. Because yeah. they seem to think you can read the mind. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think the, the, the key particularly, wh- whether you're, you know, in our business, we could be doing the testing for them or we could be hiring the equipment to them. I think the key to reading their mind is uh, is having a checklist of a lot of questions to ask that for information that they're not going to share unless you ask. Um, yeah. you, know, you know, there's just, you know, you know, there's there's a dozen with with 
with uh, test plugs, there's maybe a dozen questions that you need to try to extract that information out of the client. What are you doing? What are the obstructions? That, what is the test pressure? Where is the weld relative to the opening? Um, you know, what elevation is it at? You know, is it vertical? Is it horizontal? You know, they don't, you know, they, a lot of the time client is thinking, hey, I need a 10-inch Schedule 40 plug. Can you ship it? And then you ship it and they call back and say, well, it didn't fit. You know, or it wasn't there. It didn't hold the right pressure. Well, you know, it wasn't the right schedule, um, and it's almost always just a misalignment in in terms of getting the right information to make sure that you get them the right the right tool, or you or you send the right crew with the right equipment. Yeah. Um, Another one actually is uh, is eventually they'll tell us whether it's vertical or horizontal, so they do always forget to tell us that. Yeah. Then, yeah. then you get told it's a I always like I always like the inverted uh, vertical ones where they're they're installing the plug overhead. Well, this is what they forget to tell us. So they'll tell us it's vertical, but they forget to tell us it's overhead vertical. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there's a problem because the lifting eyes aren't correct in the wrong place. Yeah, their lifting eyes are wrong and the tool wants to flip, you know. They, uh, they yes. and the and you don't have anything. Oh, this we can't hold this thing. Well, when you said it was vertical, we set it up to have gravity on our side, not gravity against yes. us. In turn. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that many, many times, you know, that, that vertical or horizontal and inverted, uh, you know, the up or down verticals is equally important. Yeah. Um, what else, what else are we, what else do you think clients should be, uh, should, should be asking us and, and, and thinking about when they're looking uh, to either build or, or hire uh, plugs? Uh, Maybe this is asking us for solutions. What we have found is a lot of clients will just come and ask us for an existing product to have. And then again, when you get speaking to them and extract the information, you suddenly think, hold on, maybe we can do this, we can do this, we can try this. So we have quite a lot of variations on some of our tools. There may only be small variations that we have to do, but it's just things which make life easier for the client. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, instead of just, you know, I, I want, you know, I want a tenant's tester. Okay, then fine. And then you dig deep and then they tell you the pressure and you dig a bit more. And all of a sudden, there's just something you didn't know. And like, Hold on a minute. Well, we can do this. We can do this. We can try this. Uh, also, I'll quite often get a customer asking me for a product. And when I dig the information out, it's actually completely the wrong product. We can offer them an existing product on the shelf, which is a far better solution, far easier and far quicker to use. So, yes, I think rather than telling us what they want, they should be more telling us what they're, what they're doing right. and what right. we could use to solve that problem, yes. Again, though, would you know... Bang on the mark there. They, they should yeah. be leaning on us to tell them the best solution as opposed to trying to to uh decide hey i want this tool i mean i mean there, there are there are some clients who know our equipment really well know your equipment really well and know hey i want you know a standard uh tire tool um but you know the best way is to really uncover what is what is their challenge what is their particular uh task and, and let us help diagnose what what's the best solution i think that's that's key yeah 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, and when it, that has happened, you end up with very happy clients because it's just made the whole job a lot easier, a lot sweeter, go a lot quicker. No. Uh, what about um, seal surface and pipe wall? Uh, yeah. Uh, again, I think customers seem to think that anything's going to go on anywhere and it's going to seal anything at any point. Right. Uh, so, you know, we, we need to, you know, be sure exactly what's going on. Uh, a problem we we don't see too often, but we do, it's where it's, it's the seam weld. No, if it's gone within a pipe which has got a seam weld on it, they, they won't tell us the seam weld. Or if it's penetrating a bit too far, they don't tell us. So they'll put, the, they'll put the tool in. We've given them what they've provided. They've told us everything they can. And then it's come back, well, your tool's not sealing, your tool's not doing this. And again, when you try to dig deeper, uh, you then realise, actually, you know, you're going against a, a seal. It's something which could be easily solved by maybe just changing the shore hardness of the seal on the tool. It may just sure. be too hard, yeah. so it doesn't, you know, it doesn't go over it. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's something uh, we just need to ensure when we get the information and from that, we put the right type seal in, the right type of tool in. We have tools which you know will have more than one seal in them. So if there's a problem if it's extremely pitty, extremely dirty, or we know there's a seam weld, we can put one with a dual seal in right. uh, just to help them achieve the aim. Shipping a tool out, shipping it down to South of the UK, which which will take a day, trying to use it, it fails, there's a day, they send it back because it hasn't worked, we send another one out. It's four days, five days they've lost just by not you know, giving us, you know, this is the condition the pipe works in and this is what's going on. Yeah, I think, I think that's key, isn't it, yeah. is really having good conversations with them around the conditions of the piping, seams or uh, protruding roots from the welds, a lot of pitting, you know, crevice corrosion is a big issue that I've yeah. seen, you know, particularly on the bottom of the pipe. If they've got crevice corrosion and they've, they've actually got a channel in the bottom of the pipe that they don't tell you about that, you know, those are, you know, and I, I've, we, we, you know, in terms of being able to hydro test those, we've been very creative in being able to overcome those things if you know about them, uh, yeah. whether it's um, finding ways to fill that crevice to be able to uh, help the seal accomplish the seal or changing, uh, changing it from, you know, you know, a lot of the time when I get a lot of pitting, uh, we may switch from using a schedule specific narrow uh, internal well test tool to just a tire uh, tool. And that, that gets the job done. Um, but it's really key to understand piping conditions. Yeah. I mean, laminations uh, we found with a problem as well. You know, it's just corroded on the inside. They've not cleaned it. The tool goes in, it seals wonderfully well. But obviously, that pressure creeps through the split lamination and the corrosion. You know, and right. it doesn't matter what you do, if you're not going to clean that surface, that tool isn't going to work. And that is another problem. Uh, yeah, as long as, you know, once the communication starts and we can advise them, generally they do achieve the end result. It's just taken a bit longer than required. Um, what about weight? Um, weight issues to be considered. Yeah, I will say on this this tool in particular. Uh, well, on any tools, weights is the problem, and the handling, and the manipulating of it. But in this tool in particular, to use the flexible joint, uh, it, it, this one was difficult to handle and move around. Uh, something we are we are looking at and addressing. How can we make it? 
better to handle just to be ship it in future maybe in some sort of handing frame which they can mate up to the pipe walls they can push it in we need to look at it uh, but all of these tools are there, as we just discussed they're using different orientation of planes you know vertical up or vertical down uh, yeah and the, the flanges are very very heavy these things will not hang level Are you uh, on, the, on the backing plates on the seals? Are you using steel or are you using aluminium? Most of the tools I've seen, yeah, it's, it's nearly all steel. It's all carbon steel. I can't remember the grade of it actually, but it's all hardened carbon steel on most of the right. equipment because we need the strength that goes with it as well. Uh, and also, it's treated, it's, we call it blackening, and it's yeah. treated then to prevent any corrosion that goes on with it. So, I mean, if we use aluminium, I think to get these strengths we require, you know, we'll, we'll be getting bigger and chunkier, so we'll still be getting heavy, but I don't know how it would hand up with... You know, the guys on site aren't gentle with this equipment. You know, it gets thrown about all over the place, uh, and then, you know, aluminium isn't the strongest product either. So, yeah, we could build it with aluminium to make it lighter and easier to manipulate, but I think the cost-effectiveness... And just keeping the integrity of the tool, I don't think it would work. Yeah. We've had you build a lot of our tools with uh, X70 aluminium that we were able to find. Um, and it was a cost issue. You know, the material cost goes up. But, you know, for us in particular, um, it, it was actually cost neutral because the weight that we saved with, uh, sorry, the increase in cost in the, the material we saved in the shipping cost because of the weight reduction coming across <laughs> the pond. Yeah. yeah. It was actually, it was actually cost neutral. So, you know, it was costing us effectively the, the same delivered at our doorstep, uh, building them out of aluminum because, uh, you know, we're air freighting all that equipment. A lot of the time we don't have time to put it on a ocean liner and wait, you know, eight weeks to get it where you guys are building us a fleet of tools or two tools and, it's going in a crate and it's going to Heathrow and it's flying, flying across the Atlantic at, you know, two or three dollars a pound shipping weight. So um, that, that, that we found that to be uh, be a valuable thing for uh, for some of some of our applications, not all. Yeah, well, most um, of our I think you must be referring to the twin tire tools. So most of the twin tire tools that they are built of aluminium, uh, but yeah. that's because they're not seeing high pressures. And, we did it. Yeah. We, we do it. We do it with the backing plates on the IWTs, but not the body. Okay. okay. Yeah. 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 This, the backing plates for the seals on the IWTs, we've been able to. Uh, so we we kind of got a, a hybrid on our IWT tools, where we've got a steel body, and then uh, the seal backing plates are aluminium. Okay. The, the activation nut is still steel, but the plates in between are are aluminium. Yeah. And that takes. I think it's it's reducing the weight of thirty or forty percent of the tool. Um, so, um, uh, what about tool length and the length of the joint? Uh, they're specific to application. Uh, so, if it was for a purchase tool, then yes, it's very, very specific to application. For our rental fleets, we have uh, a range of bodies which we can change. So, you know, they are changed specifically to suit what the client wants. Uh, and again, that's just to make it easier for handling, uh, easier for shipping, easier for packing. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, it is very particular. We, we get some strange requests. We, we had one, uh, someone asking us about a world which was 12 metres down. And I was like, 12 metres, that's a, that's a pipe spill. Uh, yeah. Yes, <laughs> we wouldn't be making, a fl- and that was for the flange well tester, but we wouldn't be making a flange well tester 12 metres long. Yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. as I said earlier, when you get speaking to them, so well, hold on a minute, you know, if we can do your, you know, uh, an, an internal well tester, we can do that. But then it has its own issues with the, the length of it because in this 12 metres, you need to be able to push this thing in 12 metres. Yeah, you need a push power. Yeah. You need to fit the tool with wheels. You need an umbilicals. We've done them. You've done them with us. Um, uh, but, you know, there's a little more planning in in uh, doing a a uh, an inline weld like that that's, you know, 10, 12 metres down the line. Because, you know, there's just a lot more kit involved and a lot more planning. And obviously, you know, it's not just about pushing the tool either. You've got to be able to measure where the tool is so that you actually get the annulus of the test area over the weld. So there's, there's, uh, I've had a, I've had a few times when customers say, hey, can we just push that into place? Well, yes, but, you know, you know, there's a few other things, you know, there's a little more planning involved. I mean, every time I've got to look at doing an inline weld like that, it becomes a custom or bespoke job uh, that takes a little more planning because, and there's more materials. And sometimes customers will go, well, I just want to rent the tool. Well, I, I don't want to rent you a tool and you try to self-perform a, 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 a test that's 12 meters down the line, unless we also work with you to rate the procedures so that it's successful. Um, it's, a, you know, th- those are always a bespoke application. Yeah. Um, what about, you know, we talked a little bit about orientation, um, uh, you know, what kinds of limitations? And th- this is really, you know, that comes back to vertical, horizontal, inverted, up, down. I mean, there's so many different ways that, you know, the one thing that I do know is if if piping engineers can design a strange place to put a weld, they will. Um, so, you know, and we've got to figure out how to, isolate and test all those what are the limitations that you've seen or that customers need to think about relative to um to plug use orientation and and what do you do about it well our greatest issue on this flexible tool without a doubt is if someone but wants it done vertically in the upward plane so we're seeing enough problems trying to use this tool in a horizontal position and trying to get it go into position with it being a flexible joint. Right. Uh, I wouldn't even like to think how are you going to get a tool with a flexible joint inserted in a vertical upward plane? How are you going to hold it in position? How are you going to get it to go where you want it to go? That we're trying right. to come back. Because yeah. Yeah. You, you, can't, you can't push the plug segment up. It's just going to sit there and 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 work gravity working against the uh, the flexible portion of the tool it's not going to fit into the right location in a vertical situation is it yeah exactly so uh, I, I forgot to mention this earlier so part of the research and development for this flexible tool when the chain was uh, wrapped in polyurethane they tried to do it in quite thick polyurethane to you know, hold the tool in position but it then lost its flexibility it became right. very inflexible so yeah there's a fine balance between can you make it flexible enough so it'll go where you want it to go? But also, can you make it rigid enough that you can stand it vertically and be able to push it upwards? 
Right. He's already found the answer. That is without a doubt. And I think that is in all, all the orientations. Is it, that is our main limitation, is what is the fine balance. How, I mean, and also depends on the length of the joint. If the length is going to be quite short, then, yeah, it's easier. But if, people, if the world's a bit further than, than what's normal, then that flexible joint is just going to become... Yeah, I guess the weld really depends on when it comes to a flexible tool and whether it's a standard elbow joint or if it's a three or five or seven D bend and where the weld is on that bend and what you're trying to accomplish is, is yeah. going to have a lot, a long, a lot, a lot of factors involved in how, what, which version of that tool you're going to use. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people like to use the, you know, the flexible twin tires, but as I said, the problem is, is the pressure limitation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean the one. Yeah, the, the the flexible twin tire tool is the one that our nuclear power plant client used, but the t- the test pressures were were very low. Um, yeah. So and and we we did FATs on, it, and then we demonstrated it again in our shop, and and uh, and it worked it worked marvelous, but it was a lower pressure articulated test. So, um, what's the you know, what are you you know what are you rating the chains for? So you've been able to measure the loads, uh, the forces on the tool, and so how are you addressing sort of safety factor and the ratings on on the chains or the cables you're using on the flexible tools? Uh, so, so what we had to do in this one, as I said, the initially when they did the calculations, because the chain was stretching and elongating, we didn't expect to see it. Uh, and so then we looked at cable we know we can get this high tension cable it wasn't available so we actually had to go to a lifting company because right. they're the specialists and they know what they do so we explained the forces we we expect to see how much weight this train was going to be able to see and what we had to do and we let them advise us what the chain was going to be but say this chain was i can't think what the weight of it was can you read how heavy it was it was a heavy chunk of chain it almost even though the tool was a flexible tool, just due to the weight of this chain, it, it, we almost lost the fact of this being right. uh, right. you know, a, 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 a flexible tool to be used on site because then it had its own implications. I, I, it was definitely on the limits. I think it was thicker than that. Yeah, it was something like an inch thicker. Thing. Yeah, inch. There were only three lengths. Yeah. Three lengths in it, so, so there must have been... 300 millimeters long per link yeah. or something, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it just became... It's like anchor chain. It was almost like an anchor chain, like yes. anchor chain, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was yeah. at the point where it could be easily enough manipulated for its purpose for what we were trying to achieve without causing too many problems. Any bigger, any heavier, it would have been a major problem. But as I said, we were time limited on this one because the client required it to me come across... Issues we just didn't expect to see. So the way of addressing that in future is we will use high tension cable, but we need to start right. doing testing on that and how to stiffen that up again to make it useful because it's no good having a cable which is going to take 30 ton, 50 ton, 100 ton. Because as soon as you pick the tool up, everything just starts flopping and hanging down all over the place. Yeah. We need to, be able to manipulate it. So that's what our next yeah. stage of testing will be. Yeah, that'll be interesting experimenting with how you encase that in different. Uh, hardnesses of, of, of yeah. polyurethane and figuring out the 
the balance between flexibility and load retention and tool yeah. usability, right? Exactly. Yeah. And we also um, found was that, that the chain we used initially, just the orientation, the links went onto the joints. They burst the joints open. So I, I don't know what the word would be, but the joint actually burst open like that because the chain was pulling off at an angle. So when the tool was finally sent, we didn't have the time to change how we were going to do the joint. So that it was put such an orientation. So any forces were, where, the, where the chain was going to bend as such, they weren't going on, uh, to the side. So what we've decided in the future is we'll use some type of universal joint with some sort of ball fitting so it can right. move right. any direction we want. So uh, again, it was just another thing we didn't expect to see, but uh, you can test all day long, and that's the whole point of testing is to come up with well, different I, well, that's, that's the value of the R&D and the shop testing is, is, is working out those new tool bugs before they get into the field as opposed to build and ship, right? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 as I said, you know, I, I place a tremendous amount of value on the way you guys deal with test rigs and proving the tool in the shop, so that customers have confidence when it when it gets to the field application. You know, it might take three weeks worth of of shop testing and FAT, and it might only be an hour in the field. But uh, you know, there's a lot of situations where where that investment for client saves them. Uh, hundreds of thousands or millions of uh, pounds or dollars, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what about uh, engineering packages? Uh, you know, our customers often asking for calculations and uh, and an engineering uh, design calcs uh, with with your tools. And and how do you address that? Yeah. So what, as we go through the design processes, we. Each revision of the drawing will go to the client. So we were never just, okay, let's take on this this uh, issue. Let's design it and throw something out at the end. Every single stage drawings are sent to client, sent for client approval. Uh, with any calculations that would go with it, they will look at them, uh, obviously comment. And with that, any little things they don't make, because they may have an idea they think is perfect until they see it in a detailed drawing see some calculations and then decide to change things so a lot of the design drawings will go through various stages of revision until everybody is 100 percent happy with, with what the end product's going to be and that is something that we would do as standards so it's not something they have to ask for because you know we want to make sure the customers know exactly what they're requesting okay um what about diameters? Uh, you mentioned this tool is a 16-inch, and you're still sort of trying to figure out, you know, how small and how large you go. Do you have a sense on where you're going to go with the uh, with the flexible tool? I, with the way it is at the moment, I couldn't really envisage it going much above maybe 20 or 24 inch. Again, this is due to the the, the weight and the way it's manipulated, but. Right. This is because we haven't looked in great detail yet at how we can ship it, how we can load it, and how we can manipulate it in the field. Right. Uh, when we do get the opportunity to do that, I'm sure we can come up with some sort of uh, handling frame, some way of manipulating it. And if we can come up with a good solution which works in all planes, vertical and horizontal, then I would say that really there would be no limitation. Limitation would then be weight, which is the same with any type of tool. But at the moment, it's just how we can handle it with the size it is. 
Uh, and in terms of the uh, your other standard tools or other bespoke custom tools, um, whether it's the twin tire tool or the internal weld testers, what's the smallest that you've gone? What's the largest that you've gone? The smallest we have is half inch. So we have half inch uh, flange weld testers. I think the smallest internal weld test, I can't think of whether it's a three quarter or a one inch. It's very small. I think I own um, some three quarter inch double extra strong internal weld testers that you built me. And, and you know, so that means the, 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 the seal size or the hole size is like... Point four, like four hundred thousandths of an inch, or something, or three, uh, yes, five, something like that. It's very, yeah. very tiny, and because it's double extra strong, it's also um, capable of testing like three or four thousand psi. It's a, it's a very yeah. small, imp- you know, it's a very small, impressive tool. Um, yes. yeah. Works really uh, and well. They are, and they are part of the standard fleet as well. You know, these, yeah, yeah. yeah they're I, sitting I, on the shelf now. Yeah. I don't have one. I think I have seven or eight of them on the shelf because they, they it comes up quite often. Um, yeah. I think you built me a half inch tool, maybe that was maybe schedule one sixty. That was um, slightly smaller, but I mean, when you get down that tiny, you know, the difference between a half inch uh, one sixty and a three quarter inch double extra strong are, is literally thousands of an inch. Yes. But those thousands of an inch matter. <laughs> they matter a lot to be able to get the test pressures off. It's uh, it, it's quite a feat of engineering to have such a small package to have to be able to be so capable. What I love about them is, um, you know, they they seem they work just as well uh, and as fast as uh, some of the more uh, manageable sizes. I mean, these are these are tiny tools that that, punch, that pack a punch. What about on the large size? Where 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 do you have uh, where have you gone there? So the larger size isn't too common. So if I'm thinking about rental fleets, so our largest item in the rental fleet is a 36-inch plunge weld tester. Right. And it doesn't, it doesn't go out too often. Uh, for internal weld testers, for the fleets, I think the largest is a 16, and again, they don't go out very often. Mm-hmm. It's it always the common 10, 12 inches, which we have lots of. Uh, right. As far as the uh, twin tires, I think our most common size and I think our largest then is a 16 or an 18 inch. Uh, and that's just due to customer demand. It's, yeah, you know, I mean, that's, you know, you know, if you think about um, what customers' demands are, it's, you know, up to 16, up to 16 inches where most of their pipe works are going to be. And they've got just fewer needs for 20s, 24s, 30s, 36s. So, uh, I mean, we have them. I think the largest tool you've built for me um, was a 42-inch twin tire. Uh, I, I think I have two of them on the shelf, and I've got five, five or six 36-inch tools. And but but the strange thing is, is you know, I think the last time I used them was five years ago. Yeah. Well, if I need them, I'll ask you to rent them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so, they, yeah. They, they're sitting here waiting, and they're made of aluminium. Do you know how many years it took me to be able to say that word? <laughs> Aluminium, I can imagine, yes. <laughs> I, I, I probably was in your offices and dealing with you guys for probably two or three years, and I kept I could not say aluminium. I would say aluminum, and then you'd all chuckle, and then I would try to say aluminium, and then I'd trip on my tongue, <laughs> and 
um, now I say aluminium um, at will, but only if I'm talking to Brits. <laughs> no one else knows what aluminium is, but I, whenever I say it, uh, I get a chuckle when I say it in Canada. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's an impressive fleet. What I, you know, when you know, when I look at our fleet, you know, uh, of tools that we've built with you over the years, the custom tool, the standard tools, how we've made certain custom tools into standard fleet. I mean, we've, we've built and designed all of the, the elbow grip plug tools together that uh, we call the longbow um, after the British longbow. Um, and, uh, you know, that was an idea that I drew on the back of a napkin and then we just, we developed it together. And uh, so, you know, and then we've got the, uh, the reverse grip, Test tools that we we designed to uh, support Exxon Mobil, um, and now we've got the Greylock uh, test tools, the flexible tire tools. Now you've got this new flexible higher pressure tool that you're developing. Um, the range of dual tools, both schedule specific and multi schedule. The IWT tools or the internal well test tools that are you know self energizing and, and high pressure. I, I think what you know, what a lot of clients need to understand is that the way I think about test plugs, uh, isolation of test plugs, is um, most of the other players in the marketplace are mass producing a single tool uh, that's almost always just a compression O-ring tool, um, and uh, and they try to sell one tool. One tool does everything. And so, you know, it's, it's the way I think about it is, you know, if you're a, a tradesman, you wouldn't have just one screwdriver or one wrench spanner, your word spanner, um, in your toolbox, you'd have a whole set of them because you need a whole set of tools to be able to do your job. And what I like about what, what we do together, what, and what IK has been so great at engineering and testing is building that whole toolbox of isolation and test tools so that all of the strange configurations and challenging configurations of piping that clients have in the field, you can actually isolate them all, you can hydro test them all, and you can get the work done. Um, because I, I think what clients face so often is they use a standard tool that uh, is the one-size-fits-all um, that is you know, available in some markets and they can only accomplish 60 or 70% of their work. And then they end up having to do system hydro tests or golden welds or in process weld inspection. And a lot of the time they don't even know that that's going to happen until the standard tool doesn't work. And um, that can be a challenge. And I think the, the ability to one have that whole wide range of capabilities that you guys develop. And then secondly, outside of that, be able to pick up the phone and say, hey, I've got another crazy one here. Can you guys find a solution? And you almost always do. I think, I think, and, and, and it's just clients understanding that that's available. And then number two, um, knowing that, you know, if it is a strange job, you know, the, the big process for success is giving us the time to work with them with the right information so that we can design and test and prove the right solution. Um, and that always works. I mean, the, the success that we've had with doing bespoke nozzle testers for clients 
has you know been a tremendous success for us here in, in Canada. And um, and I think you know as clients get to know you guys around the world, I think they'll be pleasantly surprised with how much more how much safer, how much more productive, and how much more cost effective uh, working with you guys can be. And um, so I, I hope our audience uh, gets some value out of this conversation and um, and reaches out. And what we'll do um, in the show notes as we publish this is we'll make sure that we share websites and phone numbers for uh, for both uh, IKUK and obviously for uh, for our company innovators. So depending on what uh, side of the pond we are on, we'll be able to support our customers around the world. Um, any closing uh, remarks, guys? That uh, any final things you'd like to share? No, is I. Uh... Interesting. Nice to talk. Yeah. But, uh, no, nothing at all. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, you guys have a uh, a great Christmas season because I may not talk to you before then. I will. Uh, I'm going to go and sun myself in Mexico for a couple of weeks, um, <laughs> starting around the middle of December until the middle of uh, January. And uh, and uh, you know what people don't realize is we only have one month left in this decade. And uh, here is here is to a brand new decade in the the 2020s. Who would have ever thought we would have been talking about the 2020s? Um, yeah. It seems I, like I, yesterday when it was the millennium change. Yeah. I was just I was just thinking <laughs> the same thing. For me, I remember the anticipation of leading up to the the millennium and, and Y2K and all that stuff. And uh, and Wyatt probably remembers that too, right, Wyatt? I was two years old at the time. Uh, yes, I'll admit to that now that I, I don't have the best memory of it. You've heard of Y2K, but... I'm, I'm kind of aware like, of it, yes. Uh, it's kind of like me hearing war stories uh, from my dad, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it, though that doesn't have to be the end. If you haven't already, please give us a follow wherever you find your podcast, and don't forget to check out both our host, Don Cooper, and his company, Innovator, as well as our guest by following the links in the description.